Orgini's dead. So is Philip Tatalia. Mo Green. Stracci. Cuneo. Today I settle all family business, so don't tell me you're innocent, Carla. Francis Ford Coppola's 1972 film The Godfather is regarded by many cinephiles as the gold standard when it comes to epic dramatic storytelling. The story is driven by the characterization metamorphosis undergone by Michael Corleone, and as the audience we witness how Coppola uses his growing loss of innocence to portray his transformation from a family outsider, not really privy to the goings-ons of the family, to the Godfather himself. Michael begins the story as an outsider to a powerful family with powerful connections. As a civilian not truly entrenched in the games of the Mafia, he is imbued with this sort of innocence that allows him to separate himself from the ruthlessness of his family and what they stand for. He demonstrates this in the wedding scene with Kay when he tells her the story of Luca Brazzi. So the next day, my father went to see him, only this time with Luca Brazzi. Within an hour, he signed a release for a certified check of $1,000. How did he do that? My father made him an offer he couldn't refuse. What was that? Luca Brazzi held a gun to his head, and my father assured him that either his brains or his signature would be on the contract. That's a true story. That's my family, Kate. It's not me. This detachment Mike has from the Corleone crime family is born out of necessity and the almost overprotective nature of figures like his father, Vita. He isn't involved because he doesn't need to be. This detachment becomes inevitably short-lived when Michael begins to realize that even civilians are tools to be used in the game that is the war between the five families. When you're in close proximity to the mob, you're a part of their squabbles regardless of status. So a refusal to take part and exercise your position of power can be detrimental long-term or even get you killed short-term. After the attempt on his father's life for refusing to deal with Salazzo, Michael begins to show semblance of true grit when he protects Vito from assassins attempting to finish the job. And in the aftermath of his bout with police commissioner McCluskey, Mike devises a plan. The first step in showing his true commitment to the family business. It will be me, McCluskey, and Salazzo. Let's set the meeting. Get our informers to find out where it's going to be held. Now, we insist it's a public place, a bar, a restaurant, some place where there's people so I feel safe. They're going to search me when I first meet them, right? So I can't have a weapon on me then. But if Clemenza can figure a way to have a weapon planted there for me, Kill them both. 
Mike uses his perceived innocence to shift the balance of power by killing Salazzo and McCluskey in his first true act of loyalty for the family. His ability to act powerfully with haste while his father is incapacitated hints at a future in which Michael sits at the head of the family as Don, commandeering the respect of his Kappa regimes and fellow mobsters. After a two-year stint in Sicily and a rather short-lived marriage to his beloved Apollonia, no! No, he's been made to realize that his family name is too powerful for him to just act as a civilian. He was made to command respect and exercise his power to the fullest extent possible. Mike comes back to New York hardened by what's happened, but ready and willing to step into the shoes of his now-deceased brother and become acting Don, fully entering his father's business. At this point, we're witnessing Michael's true transformation, hallmarked by the change in which he utilizes the idea of innocence to his advantage. When Michael was a civilian, he benefited from using his own innocence in order to take advantage of people who underestimated his power and the threat he posed. Now in a position of power himself, he uses the innocence and naivete of other people like Kay against themselves in order to control them. I like him, Michael. I thought you weren't going to become a man like your father. That's what you told me. My father's no different than any other powerful man. Any man who's responsible for other people. Like a senator or a president. You know how naive you sound. Why? Senators and presidents don't have men killed. Who's being naive, Kay? Kay, my father's way of doing things is over. It's finished. Even he knows that. I mean, in five years, the Corleone family is going to be completely legitimate. Trust me. That's all I can tell you about my business. Kay. Michael, why did you come here? Why? What do you want from me after all this time without even calling and writing? I came here because I need you. Because I care for you. Please stop it, Michael. Because I want you to marry me. It's too late. Michael sees Kay's remaining innocence as a characteristic to be manipulated by the likes of him, a man now looking to hold the strings of power for himself. He teases her with promises of a legitimate business and this idea of the old way of doing things being finished, and him asking for her hand in marriage is the cherry on top of the duplicitous Sunday that is their relationship. There's the family he hopes to build with Kay, but then there's the family with whom his vested business interests lie. And as the audience, we're already made privy to that which is truly at the center of Michael's loyalties. As Michael shifts into the role of acting Don, he begins consolidating his power moving Tom out because he's not a wartime consigliere, settling his affairs in Vegas with Mo Green and his brother Fredo, and preparing for an incoming war that's surely inevitable as his father's health begins to decline. In their final scene together, Vito demonstrates a resistance to what is now being asked of Michael, who finds himself in a position Vito never expected of him or ever I mean, really wanted. Dana was going to have to go through all this, and Fredo... Oh. Afraid I was. Oh. And I never, I never wanted this for you. I worked my whole life. I don't apologize to take care of my family. And I refused to be a fool. Dancing on the string held by all those big shots. 
I don't apologize. That's my life. But I thought that. But when it was your time, that that you would be the one to hold the strings. Senator Corleone, Governor Corleone, something. Another person of honor. This wasn't enough time, Michael. Wasn't enough time. We'll get there, Pop. We'll get there. Politicians may be limited by the law in some regard, but powerful men like Vito and Mike are only limited by their ambition. Michael's willingness to wield his power wholeheartedly is a symptom of him not just fully embracing his family's calling, but becoming the definition of the family himself, the patriarch of a criminal empire. And in the final act of the movie, he wields his power most dramatically orchestrating the deaths of the heads of the other four families. Michael Francis Rizzi, do you renounce Satan? I do renounce him. And all his works... The prospect of power can corrupt even the most sanctified of souls, and even those thought to be, I don't know, pure or shrouded under the cover of innocence may actually be revealed to be the most proficient workers in the shadows. Michael's metamorphosis is born of his circumstances, but also his revelatory ambition. He was always bigger than the shell he was casted in, and what we witnessed through his transformation in the movie is Michael, in effect, being born again. The religious imagery this conjures up is, of course, intentional and hard to miss, and I think that the baptism at the end isn't just for Connie and Carlo's baby, it's for Michael as well. Just as the baby is washed clean from original sin, according to the laws of Catholicism, so too is Michael fully washed clean of the naivete he once bore as an outsider. And he has no illusions about the power he has, nor about exercising it in total displays of ruthlessness, and he's fully comfortable using other people's innocence against them. He is Don Corleone, the man who pulls the strings of power and answers to no one. Least of all, to God. Mind Theater is produced and written by me, Ayo Ekingbade, in collaboration with Muckraker Media. For updates on the show, as well as my other content, follow Mind Theater Pod on Twitter and Instagram. 
If you want to show monetary support, the Ko-fi link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.